and welcome to Counterpressed on the Ringer and Spotify. What a fucking day. I feel drained. I feel like I've aged. I feel like I've lived so many different lives. But England are still somehow in the World Cup. I'm joined by Jesse Bog Humphreys and Becky Taylor Gill coming in live from Brisbane post match. Guys, how are we feeling? Um, I just. I, I don't know how you're coping with like a penalty shootout in the morning. I don't know how you then go about the rest of your day. I'm ready to go to sleep and I'm like so emotionally exhausted. I just need, I need a rest to get, to like <laughs> reset, get over it and be ready to go again. Yeah, I feel like I've lived the highs and lows of life, you know, started today cuddling a koala, oh. finished today actually finished today watching Australia Denmark in the pub um but you know had the low point in the middle of having to watch England on do a penalty shootout right in front of our real life eyes yeah. which just made it feel even more intense I think I don't know I had this weird thing at the Euros where all the big moments were at the opposite end of the pitch to me the goal against Spain Chloe Kelly's goal against Germany all of that happened not in front of me and I think there was something really weird today about the fact that we were like right there and the penalties were there and it was England about to go out of the World Cup. I was thinking about it I've never seen England women in a penalty shootout that actually meant something. My knees were knocking together I was absolutely shitting myself I was like shaking I was I don't know how they step up and do it like I was I was like dizzy because I was so like, like I'm like freaking out and then screaming really loud. It's it was very intense. I had tears in my eyes by the end. They did. They yeah, really I did. cried. I cried at the end. I really. Did. It was. I I didn't think I would, but I felt so physically sick. Um, I, I actually thought I was going to throw up. Um, and listener, let you in a little press secret and confession I was really hung over yesterday after going to my friend's wedding and I felt much worse after the penalty shootout at all compared to the hangover I felt horrendous because it just took so much out of me um but also relieved and we're going to get into exactly why we are all pretty relieved uh, as well as shocked and excited and you know you know emotions all over the shop Plenty to talk about from that England-Nigeria game. But of course, the hosts, the co-hosts, Australia, getting through to the quarterfinals with a very easy, comprehensive win over Denmark. So let's get into that after this. Well, guys, um, we nearly had to uh, eat our hats a little bit and eat humble pie because we were giving it the big one, giving it the big one about USA yesterday. And um, it nearly came to bite after today, didn't it, Becky? I was really regretting. No, actually, we had this no, conversation. I was going to say, we literally, I turned to Becky and was like, as it was about to go to penalties, and I was like... Is this because we laughed at the US <laughs> and we agreed that no matter what happened, we didn't regret a single <laughs> second of laughing at the US? I turned to Jesse and said, you've got to live every moment as it comes. <laughs> and this, and I don't, I don't want to regret taking the piss out of them because I loved it in the moment. I actually said if England went home now, I would regret not having laughed more <laughs> because that would have been 
a bigger potential source of joy yeah. uh, because then, then despair would have come. Uh, and anyway, actually, it turns out we're fucking great at penalties <laughs> and they're rubbish. So <laughs> I'm known as like the counterpress jinx, but I feel like I, I actually lost that uh, title for a little bit. And there were so many things that I wanted to say in this game that I resisted because I, I feel like I jinxed too much. So I was like kept drafting tweets and then deleting them or like kept drafting WhatsApps and be like, no, I can't. It's too much of a jinx. You can't live like that. Flo. But it is... Always tweet the tweet. I have too much Jinx energy, Always clearly. And ever since Chelsea tweet. lost the Conti Cup final, I've carried too much weight you of Jesse jinx, Park Humphrey's joy on my shoulders. You Chelsea more. I think that's <laughs> the main Jinx that I dislike. You can do what and you like with England. And the Jinx today was my girlfriend getting a Lauren James temporary tattoo as we walked into Baller FC. And then an hour later, she gets sent off. So there you go. Reveal, jinx my girlfriend day. texted me saying... The photo of your girlfriend with the tattoo saying this aged well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've both I, got I did, girlfriends. Let's move on. <laughs> I did tweet uh, images that precede unfortunate events. And I think someone was trying to like tag that account that does it. And I was like, hang on a minute. It isn't real, guys. Steady on. Um, but yes, I suppose that the thing that um, united the, the round of 16 game that the USA had against Sweden and, and today's round 16 game is that the better teams lost uh, and the, the the shitter teams were better in the moments that mattered in the penalty shootouts. Uh, I, I don't really know where to begin when we talk about the game itself, Jesse, but let's talk about uh, the biggest decision that Serena Wiegmann made, which was Kira Walsh coming back in. Out of the blue, she was in back in training a few days ago, and I don't think any of us expected that. She'd been in the gym doing rehab, but suddenly she was back in full training as of yesterday. I didn't think she would be thrown back straight in the deep end today. I really didn't, but she did. And we were having a bit of a conversation about this because on WhatsApp, I thought she didn't play very well, and I thought she looked like someone who was slightly off the pace. And you said you thought she was England's best player. So now we have to battle it out. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll fight to the death for Kira Walsh. Um, yeah, I think obviously she obviously did more than one training session. I think that was a bit of a sort of fudge from England that they kind of kept that under under wraps. And clearly the injury just wasn't as bad as she made it seem when it happened. Um in terms of her performance, I, I definitely felt like in the first half, she probably was England's best player. I think as the game went on, her impact diminished slightly. But I think what Walsh really allowed England to do in the first half was to switch play quickly. And some of the balls out to find Lucy Bronze, I thought, were really, really impressive. Um, I thought she did really well in terms of... Actually, you know, she's someone who I don't always think of as being super press resistant, but I thought she dealt really, really well with some, you know, strict Nigeria man marking. And I think Nigeria really excelled in terms of showing how you could sort of specifically man mark England's midfield and sort of put pressure on the back line uh, and limit the the passes they can make. But I actually thought Kira Walsh was one of the few players who looked like she could break out that pressure. And I think it was a shame England didn't show more of those quick switches because I think when they made them, that was when they looked the most dangerous. Uh, and, you know, there were a couple of moments where Lucy Bronze was sort of running in behind or Lauren Hemp was running in behind and it felt like there was going to be a, a perfect cutback there. And in the, it just didn't really come to fruition. And actually at halftime, I was like, if England carry on playing you know, having these kind of patterns of play, I feel like more good chances will come. And actually it was kind of weird that in the second half that that didn't happen and they didn't build on that. And maybe that was like 
almost the greatest concern for me because I thought the first half, they started off poorly, but they grew into the game. And I actually maybe felt the t- changing point was um, having to wait around the, the VAR penalty that, that wasn't. Um, I thought that was like a really unfortunate thing for England because it felt like they were really building momentum. And, and then I think they kind of lost it there and they never really picked it back up again after half time. Um, but yeah, I thought it was kind of wild she played for 120 minutes, but I thought she was good. <laughs> so Yeah, I, th- I think for me, they had to use the width and that was what was so frustrating with the lack of changes, not only in um, personnel and how it took so long to even make, make any substitutions, but also the fact that they didn't really switch things up enough and how they wanted to play. Lauren James was getting pinned by at least two players every single time she was on the ball, rightly so, because they wanted to shut down that threat. But when she did come out wide, she got a lot more joy. So... You can see when, like you say, when they were spreading out wide to bronze and they switched the play quickly and even like tried to cross into the box and get opportunities that way, England played a lot better. And I think it was frustrating that we were still being kept so narrow by Nigeria setting up so well and being so good defensively that I felt like we we struggled to to figure it out about how we can create other options. Um it's also a shame that we got dragged into exactly the same discourse as the US in terms of substitutions. Could you guys figure out why Wiegmann was being so reluctant to make changes? Because it felt like, I thought she might give it 10, 15 minutes in the second half because she normally does do that. I didn't think they'd be straight on at half time. But as that second half dragged on, you felt like, right, they really need to do something. But she was so reluctant to make any changes. Yeah, it was a really bizarre one for me. Um, Ella Toon and Chloe Kelly and Beth England were all warming up for a really large amount of time. And I thought they were going to kind of come on around 70 minutes. And I was like, well, you know, it's a bit later than I'd have expected, but that kind of makes sense. I think Vigma still hasn't really figured out who she wants to sub in and out. She's changed systems. She's had players come in and out of the team. Maybe that, maybe that's understandable. Um, then it was sort of dragged on and then it felt like Ella Toon and Chloe Kelly were finally going to be ready to come on and Lauren James managed to get herself sent off. And then at that point, Kelly did come on. Um, it was, it was odd to me, but I think it does speak to a, a broader issue that Wiegmann's found with this iteration of England in that I just don't think she knows quite what her best lineup is. And not only that, she doesn't know who she wants to bring in, maybe because she's not exactly sure what system is working best. She's not exactly sure how they want to attack. Um, I actually put in my piece after the game, though, that there was a kind of still Wiegmann-esque substitutes winning moment to this in that Beth England scores that second penalty that kind of settles everyone's nerves and Chloe Kelly obviously then scores the winning one. So, you know, the subs still did their job, even though maybe we're surprised that the Katie's element didn't take a penalty at all. Um, but yeah, it, it was strange not to see the subs made, but I think it definitely was less about like the in-game realities and more hints at this issue that Wiegmann has that she doesn't exactly know, I don't think, what's going to work and why and therefore she's reluctant to roll the dice um but it is frustrating because I do think um I know we've not got to this yet but Lauren James's red card was one of the most stupidest things I've ever seen on the football pitch but the only like it's not even a mitigating factor but the only thing I would say 
is that it felt like something that could have been prevented if substitutions had been made earlier. And I think there is a tiny, like, 1% portion of blame maybe to sit at Serena Wiegmann's door with that. Well, could you guys see in the stadium, because I saw a few tweets from some other English journos saying that she was actually about to come off. The substitution was about to be made. And I don't know if that's through the production team, because obviously, like, if you're the floor manager at the game, you get told what subs are happening, like, when the paperwork's being handed over so you can get the graphics ready. So I don't know if it's those people getting access and then telling the journos, but there was a conversation that, saying that she was literally about to come off like 30 seconds bef- like after it would have happened. Well, it was Toon and Kelly who were supposed to come on, so I don't know for sure because I didn't see anyone waving to LJ being like, you're coming off the bitch, but uh, I-, I could surmise mathematically <laughs> from where those players play that that, that might have been the case. Um, I guess they could have potentially uh, looked to shift her and play her out wide. Um, but yeah, I mean... The thing is, it was a really dumb thing to do. So it almost doesn't matter whether she was supposed to come off or not. She just shouldn't have done it. Um, but yeah, I don't, as I say, I don't actually know. Yeah, and we'll have to wait and see what happens because it will be at least one match and then it will go sort of to review depending whether it gets upgraded to three games. And we've already had a precedent for that in this tournament. I'm fearing the worst that it probably will be three games, but... You never know. We'll just have to wait and see. I'm sure there'll be an update quite quickly. So with all the sort of excitement and relief more than anything of England getting through, there then is the question mark that arguably their most consistent and most influential, influential, most important player in this tournament. Well, she certainly won't be there for the court final and there's quite a high chance she won't be there at all now, which is absolutely gut-wrenching. It's such a sad way to go out because she was so good. Like Jesse said to me through that in that after it happened, we we probably wouldn't be here without her. Um, and so to it's 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 inexplicable. Like I I cannot get my head around it. We've spoken about it so much since it happened right in front of us, and immediately I was like, that's not a yellow card. Like how how has she gotten away with that? The ref obviously she's not obviously just not seen it properly. Like I think we all knew that that was going to be changed, and it is it's such a shame. And because it, 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 I think because there's just like no logical explanation around why she would do it. It's not like they were really like had been going at each other or they'd been like you know a tense spicy exchange. It just is completely bizarre. I can't. I, I can't work out why she did it. And it's such a, it's such a shame for someone that had really like, I mean, after that last game against China, like she was the conversation that everybody was having. Like she announced herself on the world stage in a really, really incredible way. And it's just like, what a crash down to earth. It's a testament really to how good Nigeria were that, that the Lauren James thing happened because she'd been so frustrated and she spent all her time in this tournament so far, finding the space and finding those opportunities and being the change maker for England and creating things and, and being that kind of, you know, bit of magic. But Nigeria played her to a T and it's the same sort of frustrations that, that Lauren James has had at times for Chelsea this season. We know at the end of the WSL season, it was kind of where we saw those moments where, you know, th- things get tough for her and it's how she manages that and and matures as a player this was like the worst case scenario for something like that to happen um and you know with all the conversation being a narrative being around England in this tournament like 
the fact that Nigeria just absolutely played them off the park, really like tactically sound and that they were so organized coming into this game we'd all talked about the fact that you know Nigeria can play direct they're they're you know very good on the on the counter with Ashwala and obviously Ashwala didn't have the same kind of influence that that probably Waldron would have wanted her to have but at the same time like it's probably those early opportunities that Nigeria will be really frustrated about with the like plump to double chance. Um, they had so many good chances and it's like when those don't fall, a bit like the USA game yesterday, you start to think, oh, actually, is there a narrative in which England can turn this around now? I actually disagree a bit in terms of that they'll be frustrated the earlier chances get. I mean, obviously they will be frustrated the earlier chances didn't go in, but I did think some of those earlier chances were more sort of speculative than actual quality. Like, I'm not being funny. Ashley Plumpter hitting shots like that. I don't think that was something that anyone was really expecting and sort of credit to her for, for being in those positions. And I actually thought um, her and Ajibade combined really, really well uh, to, to exploit England's right-hand side of defence. But I do think for all that Nigeria played really well, if I was Nigerian, I would feel frustrated that maybe they couldn't find that extra element to exploit England when they were played for 40 minutes with a player less. Um, I think to have allowed it to go to penalties was basically to allow England to have a free hit winning the game um, in a way that, they shouldn't have given how well I think Nigeria had played for the vast majorities of it. And I think that there's credit to be given to England's defence. I think especially Jess Carter and Alex Greenwood, when it did go sort of revert to a back four after the sending off, I thought both of them were absolutely exceptional. Um, I think Carter throughout the match was really, really impressive in exactly the way you expected her to be in dealing with those sort of 1v1s, um, in taking responsibility, in stopping players, getting into the box. Um, and yeah, so I think Nigeria did really well and I think they, they frustrated England really well and they created some good chances off the back of that. Uh, but I think definitely it was a shame, um, from a neutral perspective that they couldn't find that extra element or that extra way of exploiting England. It was almost like so much of what they were doing was based on creating those overloads when the wingbacks wanted to go forward that as soon as England actually sat back, you know, became this sort of four, four, one and sat back into a back four, that space just wasn't there anymore. And, and it was almost like they didn't have a plan B. Um, so yeah, I think, but I think in, you know, in the first sort of 60 minutes or so, it was a really solid game plan and a really clever way of exploiting England. Um, and yeah, there were a couple of moments where I feel like they could have done better in attack in the same way that England had a couple of moments where I think they should should have done better. Yeah, it was, I, I can't remember who it was, but there was one of the few chances they got after England did go down to 10 men. Um, and the ball dropped and it was just like, it was almost like you could see how big the moment was. And then she kind of like snatched at it and it went wide. I can't remember if it was a Lozy or who it was, but it was almost like they couldn't get the composure in those like small opportunities that came when they had, when England only had 10 men compared to when they were able to do what probably suits them tactically a bit better, which is like counterattack uh, and play the link up play. But I do think what's probably 
maybe reassuring for um, England fans is that um, there might be some light at the end of the tunnel with how they bounce back and use this moment as a bit of momentum as like, is this the lowest point where we could be in the tournament? And how can we build on for that, even if we might not have Lauren James? I was thinking about it. I think the only comparable moment was during the Euros when we were one nil down to Spain with, you know, less than 10 minutes to go. Like that's the only other time I felt that tense and like, we might not make out of this. Um, You get to the point where you you really have to consider like we might go home. Um, And I, I think that Spain was a really important game for us then to, to know that we can, I mean, it's different. It is different because that, that, the feeling that the Spain game gave me was we can dig deep. We can find the win out of nothing. And it's, that's very different for today, which is like we've scraped into penalties and we've just taken good penalties. But I hope that the feeling that that gives them is the same kind of thing of like, we can get out of a tight spot and we can turn it around and it's not the end of the world if we aren't dominating all the time. Also, it was obviously the right thing to do and the smart thing to do, but I've been frustrated sometimes with England recently when they haven't played smart and the fact that you saw players, you know, and I I get nervous sometimes watching Lucy Bronze, but like when England went down to 10 players, she was very reserved and conservative in how she played and everyone slowed the game down and everyone was being, you know, low risk. And obviously that's the thing you need to do in those moments. But I think we've seen England not do that at times uh, and still want to play in maybe too too much of a risky way. So I did like the way that they sort of scaled back, acknowledged that when they needed to be and just, you know, were a little bit smarter. Um, And you can build from that and recognise that and think, okay, how do we sort of like now reset? Want to shout out, to add to your shout out, Jessie, Jess Carter, because I thought she was absolutely phenomenal in such a tough game and such a tough situation to to have to kind of take on the responsibility for and take on that added pressure. But I thought she was near perfect today. Also want to shout out Uchenna Kanu, who's had a brilliant tournament, being one of uh, Nigeria's most consistent players. But Tony Payne, for me, I just thought was brilliant today. She got subbed off for pens. Um, which was unfortunate. I mean, I don't know how strong penalty taker she is, but um, you know, I don't know if she would have taken part. But I think, uh, I think whoever came on for her did miss. Um, but yeah, I thought Tony Payne was brilliant, really, really good. And obviously, it is frustrating that that Nigeria went out. But I think there's like individual moments that will still stand out uh, beyond this game for like both sets of players. Is how like how many people stepped up in such an intense grueling game where you just see like two sets of players like battling out over 120 minutes and it just looks like so grim out there but just because it was it was going on and on and on uh and it all you almost see both teams just want like be put out of their misery basically um and unfortunately obviously like one team has to lose but England managed to be on the sneaky side of it yeah and I think that's obviously something that is really hard for Nigeria to take because I think when you're, you go into a game as an underdog, you can maybe accept being beaten by the better team, but it's very hard, I think, to feel like you deserve the win. Um, 
And I actually feel like England have had that at points in sort of their journey and, you know, kind of touching on what you were saying, Flo, in some ways this felt like one of their most professional wins. It felt like the kind of win you get when you believe that you're one of the best teams in the world. Um, And that feels like a big jump from uh, England in 2019, even though maybe they went through the round of 16 and the quarterfinals in quite comfortable fashion. I did feel like we were sort of watching a team who still backed themselves even when they had had a player sent off to to carry on and, and do what they needed to do. You know, they weren't afraid to play for the penalties because felt like they believed that if they went to penalties, they would win. Um, and they've never won a World Cup penalty shootout before. So I think that tells you a lot about attitude. Um, I think this was also an a great performance for Nigeria to have, even though it's a shame they didn't get to go through, but to show that their performances in the group stage weren't flukes and they weren't a result of Canada or Australia or Ireland being bad teams, um, that they are clearly a, a very good defensive team, a team who are very adept at enacting different game plans based on their opposition. You know, Randy Waldrum said afterwards that, you know, what this result could have offered for African football, but not only this result, also looking forward, you know, the potential of South Africa obviously bidding for the next World Cup, what that could offer uh, the continent, the the opportunity sort of for professionalisation for further support from, from the Federation. Um, but I think, you know, these are all things that are kind of things that hypothetically people already agree with. Um, And that doesn't mean they're wrong, but I think they become so much more powerful when you see, you know, how effective a performance uh, a team like Nigeria can put in despite not having those things there. Um, So I think, like, it's... It's very easy to obviously be in the position where you just want to be like, ugh, England were a bit shit. Um, And I don't think England were great, but I do feel like... Nigeria were very very good and it wasn't just like some kind of cliche that they found the space in behind and that they exploited it it was a whole complete tactical plan that utilized different pressing triggers and overloads and opportunities and I think it's really important to um acknowledge that uh basically and I think definitely it's hard because like I don't want to fall into the trap of being like so we were wrong to think of Nigeria as underdogs they were underdogs in this game <laughs> like England should have won this game um but I think equally it's important to say that like the reason England looked so uncomfortable in this game was because Nigeria played well as much as their own faults and also they played in a way that we hadn't yet seen than play at this tournament. I think that's the difference as well, is that like we'd watched them in those first group games and thought that we'd got an idea of how they would might play against England, but they rewrote the script and came up with an exceptional tactical plan and delivered it to a T, which kind of sets, you know, it, it completely changes the way that they leave the tournament as well with what we'd seen so far. Um, it's been a cliche as well about the conversations around Nigeria because of the fact that Randy Rawdrum hasn't been paid in like, I don't know, two years. Uh, a lot of the players haven't been in paid in a very long time, but it also just has to, you know, really reaffirm the fact that they are doing this with so little support. Um, there was a, a clip that uh, a few Nigerian journalists posted after the they got through to the round of 16 in which uh, Fatma Smura 
uh, came into the changing rooms and said, you will get that fee for money. And she has assured them that they're going to get their hands on the actual bonus money. We will obviously wait and see whether they deliver on that promise. But FIFA have tried to give their insurances that they, it definitely will happen. Um, obviously, it's going to have to go beyond the bonuses, whether like the support that that team gets moving forward. And after the game, Randy Waldrum hinted that he would like to stay on on the route to the Olympic Games, whether that's uh, going to be up to him or whether he gets paid, who knows. Um, Becky, there's for me, we talked about the fact that this was a more mature performance given the fact that England, you know, like did better game management. But for me, there was something of a kind of, are we the baddies now about this? Because like Jesse said, we haven't in the past been the ones to play smart play to pens and come out on top and have the belief that we would. That's been the USA. And before yesterday, we spoke about the USA and watching that penalty shootout and thinking they are still going to win this game, even though the penalty shootout's not going their way. So now it's like, wow, are England USA? I think that other people might feel that way. Like other people might have watched that game and been like, it's so frustrating that England are just going to win it. I never felt that way. I was like, "We're like, this is it. This is done. We're going home." So, I don't know. It's I maybe, maybe. But I think <laughs> the difference maybe. is that I'm never gonna. Well, maybe, maybe not never. But I don't think I'm ever gonna reach the point where, like, you know, US fans and those US players feel like invincible. I'm always it's just English football culture, isn't it? I'm always gonna be like, I'm about to be disappointed. And equally, everyone hates England anyway already. So I d I don't think it really matters whether we're like looking good, looking bad, underdogs or not. Um, we actually bumped into a fan of Counterpress before the game who was Irish and she was saying like she was flying home tomorrow and what would really top off her trip <laughs> after the US going out was England going out as well. And I respect that. Um, so I think to that extent it's funny because it feels like a very, you know, like English thing of being like, are we the baddies now? No, we were kind of always the baddies, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Also, I guess our belief, and we had some of this yesterday, we had it after the China game, is that yes, we joke that we might win the whole thing but deep down we there's a horrible sinking feeling of doom and especially defeat now that lingers behind us i mean on paper we should win it the route that we thought we would have to take to this final is so different and you look at those teams on paper and you think we should win those which i think makes it worse because now i'm like there's no easy like oh well losing to Germany there's no there's no shame in that mm, exactly it's worse now what is paper paper is nothing anything could be anything on paper but this is football this is real life it's not about paper wow get me that anyway. on a fridge magnet counterpressed <laughs> fridge magnets coming soon Flo Lloyd Hughes, August 2023. Don't forget it. Profound. Uh, right. Let's talk about the other round of 16 game as Australia went through against Denmark next. This is another game going into it. We thought very easy to see the team that is most likely to go through. But for once in this World Cup, probably so far, the actual favourites won the game. And it was a pretty stress-free affair for Australia. And probably 
like it had all the nice moments for them. It had a big crowd, almost like a homecoming. It's It felt like to me what their opening game against Ireland should have been, but with the Sam Kerr injury and with the tension just in the game overall, it didn't, it, they didn't get any of that. But this game against Denmark, it was cool. It was calm. It was easy, breezy, beautiful. It was cover girl. It was what I wanted in England's game and didn't get. And we also got a Sam Kerr cameo. It was amazing. I got goosebumps when she walked on the pitch. Everyone in the pub cheered when she took her top off to put her shirt on. <laughs> Not about her coming on, no. just her taking her top off. That was the moment. Uh, you guys watched this after the game in a Brisbane bar. What did you make of Australia's performance? Because they were shit hot, but Denmark didn't offer very much. I think Denmark kind of performed the way I would have expected them to perform, e.g. they had a lot of the ball, but they still don't really look like they ever know exactly what it is they're doing about it. Um, I maintain that they just still seem to have no idea how to get the best out of Penelope Harder, and we've seen sort of throughout this competition that she's been used in a variety of different roles, and we've still not really seen them figure out and get on a roll with how they want to play. I think that felt in very stark contrast to an Australia team who seemed to be going from strength to strength in terms of the roles that players have been given. I thought it was another outstanding performance from Katrina Gorry and Kyra Cooney-Cross in midfield. Gorry especially is someone who's just absolutely blown my mind. This World Cup, I think KCC's got a lot of deserved credit in the bank because she's exciting and she's young and everyone wants to know where she goes next after Hammerby. But Gorry's the one who I, I thought was really impressed. Um, but equally, Caitlin Ford, I think, is someone who's really thrived in terms of not having Sam Kerr there and then taking on that responsibility. Um, her goal was great, her first goal, the first goal. And from then on, it felt like she just wanted to take on every single Danish player who came near her. Hayley Rasso again, scoring equally. Like I thought it was terrible Danish defending, but you've got to take the chances when they come. And Rasso's shown she's been exceptional of that. Um, and on top of that, Mary Fowler, who feels like she's really grown into the role. And it will obviously be interesting to see what happens now with Sam coming back. There is the option, I guess, to play Sam and Fowler together and then drop Emily Van Egmond out of the team. Um, so that'll be interesting to, to look at going forward. But yeah, it just feels like this Australian team have taken so much confidence from the Canada win. Almost, yeah, like the not what, what maybe we expected England to do from the China game. Um, but it felt like they really like just wanted to roll through this and they did with really like little concern ultimately maybe that's a bit of also we come out of a very high intensity high stakes game for us and then I'm sure maybe if you're Australian it didn't always feel like that I definitely felt like in the first half Denmark did have a lot of the ball and, and even the second half that you know Australia were only 1-0 one, one up for a large portion of the game um, but I think in hindsight it will feel like a pretty smooth run into the quarterfinal. And since that Nigeria game, and then even in that Nigeria game to some extent, but Australia have been much better at taking their chances in the last two games. And that's crucial in tournament football. And I think there are maybe reflections of how England grew into their Euros campaign. Obviously, they didn't lose a game, but the way that every single match, maybe apart from the Spain one, just built and built and built on, on that momentum. And I think maybe Australia are starting to feel that a little bit more with the performance that they've put together since that defeat. And then you've got Sam Kerr coming back. It's like everything is is the right kind of building blocks to still put together 
a very good run in this tournament. Like, do they have enough to win the whole thing? I don't think anyone knows at this point because it just feels like Japan are the only maybe dead sets to to get deep. But I think people are feeling better, definitely. Um, it's just like who out of France and Morocco, do Australia then have that next next level up? Because that is a place that they haven't been before. Yeah, and I think also it'll be a big question, which is something that England are having to grapple with of, you know, as favourites fall out of the competition, how do you deal with that burden on your shoulders? You know, England have the pressure that kind of comes from the Euros, but I think it has gone up with the US and Germany going out and equally Australia will have that similar thing of you're at a home tournament and and people expect you to do well. Um, I think especially within women's football, sometimes it's easy to forget that maybe that home pressure, I think, rockets up more, not only because you're supposed to inspire every single girl who exists in Australia, but also I think the lack of general understanding of where nations rank um, in the global sport, I think is often a lot less clear for, for people who are like slightly outside of the women's game. Whereas in men's football, people generally have a better idea that say Australia aren't like a superpower. And I, I would say that's, you know, still broadly true within women's football, even though they've got a very talented set of players. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because as you said, like Japan are maybe the only you know, the, well, I think Japan are the team who've played best. And I definitely think on the side of the draw that England and Australia are in, every team's had a wobble. Um, and consequently, every team who's still in it will feel like they've got as good a shot as any. Um, you know, Australia are two games away from a final. Um, they've got potential opponents in, for example, a semi-final who they've beaten very recently, in fact, uh, just four months ago. So I think there's, you know, plenty of deserved good feeling in the Australia camp. Uh, Kerr's return will be interesting, I think. Um, it was amazing to see her on the pitch. Jesse, I wanted to ask you, you, she's got to start next game, right? But she still doesn't look 100% right. I don't know if you can judge off 10 minutes. Um, she looked rusty, but she was playing 10 minutes of football in the game where they were 2 0 up. Uh, you'd guess she'd start. Yeah, I'd expect she would. Um, but as I say, I think what will be really interesting is kind of feels like Australia have hit on this, you know, front four with Ford on the left, Russell on the right, and Van Eggman and Fowler in together, and they're going to have to disrupt that if they want Sam in. I think even in, actually, maybe this is where Sam will be really crucial. I think even in those 10 minutes, um, and I was talking to someone at the pub about this, you can see how elite Sam Kerr's hold-up play was. And it felt very stark in comparison to watching Alessia Russo try and hold up the ball against Nigeria. I don't think Russo had a bad game by any stretch of the imagination, but just watching Sam, I was like, there's levels to this. <laughs> and Sam's on a different level. And I think, you know, as Australia maybe get out of games whereby they are the favourites, like I think they were against Denmark, to games where against potentially France, obviously it'll be different if Morocco get through, but, you know, maybe they're expecting to have less of the ball, maybe they're not favourites anymore. Having Kerr will be so, so essential in terms of relieving pressure. Um, and I think to that extent, even beyond how good she maybe looks in front of goal, that potentially becomes immaterial. Look, you've got Ford and Rasso going for it on on either side of her you know there are there are other aspects to her game which I think will be really really crucial for Australia moving forward yeah and I think Australia were feeling confident about their versatility when Sam Kerr got injured and then 
the performance against Ireland, the result against Nigeria set them back and it was suddenly like, oh my God, we desperately need her. I think that's managed to sort of calm and reset given the way that they've played in the last few games without her. And we've seen the best of Caitlin Ford where she's just like running at speed and got the composure and finishing in front of goal. And Mary Fowler, like you said, is is, is playing really well. I think it's about that next challenge and, and the moments in those two massive results in the Ireland game and the Nigeria defeat where you felt like the burden, like you say, the burden of inspiring every single pet and um, insect and bug in Australia starts to just weigh a little bit heavy and it's how you manage those situations. And I think having Sam Kerr there for that is also really important because she's like ready to take on that challenge and the fact that like you could see on her face how excited she was to be on the pitch. That's where we see the best out of Sam Kerr, where she's ready to put on a show. And this stage is absolutely built for her. And I think that's why I'm really excited what she might be able to do in the next game if hopefully she's ready to go because it's all been a little bit mysterious. I feel like I need to let you guys go to bed because um, it's been a hell of a day. I'm exhausted physically and emotionally. I will see you all very soon. I'm going to be on my way tomorrow morning to Sydney. Uh, I am feeling apprehensive about the flight, but excited to get there. Um, does, does anyone have any special requests that they need me to pack? Any, uh, yeah, any demands? I'm trying to think. I've only been gone for like three days. I so. will say. Yeah, my... Becky, Becky can't need anything yet. <laughs> what I would have said is tea, but the tea over here has been... They sell Yorkshire tea. They sell Twinings. I've I plump for a Twinings. Um, I've actually never been that into Yorkshire tea. Normally, I'm just a standard Sainsbury's boy. Um, but yeah, so that's fine. You know what I don't like here? Their crisp selection. Not a fan. Get a request in. Can I have some red Monster Munch? Wow, that's a very niche. I thought you were going to say like Walker's cheese and onion or something. No. Red Monster Munch. Red Monster Munch. Please. Okay. Um. I'll, I'll do my best. I'm not going to make any promises, but if I can get my hands on some red monster munch, You're I acting will like seriously they're like try. Impossible to find. Just go to a corner shop. I know, but I'm against the clock because bloody England decided Blow to take the game to pens. Central's I haven't even started wood. packing. <laughs> they don't have corner shops. <laughs> we only have wood. we only have blue monster munch. I've got to go to the post office now and get bloody Australian dollars. I'm having a nightmare. They're actually purple. Oh. You don't need to get dollars out. I didn't bring Australian dollars. I didn't bring Australian dollars. That feels extremely old school of you. Dad. <laughs> fail to prepare, prepare to fail, guys. You know that you can use your bank days. card. Admin from me as well, before I forget, I will be in Doha Airport tomorrow, so I will not be hosting, but our male ally of the year, Ryan Hun, will be stepping in to sub as host with Becky and Jesse. So uh, I'll be out of office. I'm going to play Substitute. So behave. Behave yourselves. Behave yourselves. I don't want to hear any complaints from the sub, okay? So Ryan will be in on Tuesday for me. I'll be back on Friday. You're going to need to rest and recover because it's been a hell of a day. We'll see you then.